Good morning, everyone. This is my first Christmas at Weinberg, even though my wife and I have been part of this community for seven years. Um, our family don't stay in town, so often over, I'm a teacher as well, so over these holidays we travel either to, to PE or to Nelspreit or to Oetzering, where we find our family. So um, why do I say that? Because I'm quite surprised by the amount of people that's, that's here. I guess it's also because the kids are also in our, in our service, but it's, it's so good to see all of you here this morning, um, you know, taking time to come and celebrate, um, as Andre said, and as the band has reminded us, the, the birth of Christ. I don't know if I've in, even introduced myself, I always do that. My name is Stefan, um, and I serve alongside Andre and, and Ryan on the eldership team um, of Common Ground Weinberg. So we are here to celebrate Christmas, and if your upbringing was similar to mine, then probably most of your life, Christmas, the priority about Christmas was gifts and trees and Christmas lights, and uh, if I could, speaking for myself, uh, the significance of, of Christmas probably only started hitting home for me after I was long out of school. Um, and I know that there are kids here that are in a much more, I would call it, in a sense, a privileged position to actually already have a good understanding of what Christmas is really about. Um, but I'm confident that most people that are here this morning at least have a a sense or understanding that there is more to Christmas than gifts and Christmas trees um, and lights and so on. There's more to it than it being a, a day off of work for some of us um, or blessing people with gifts or being blessed with gifts. All those, those things are nice and good. In short, it is the celebration of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in preparing for this, I realized that there's a lot that we can speak on. And, and like, once you start doing research, you, the questions that people struggle with and that they write books and articles on are questions like, why the 25th of December? And, I mean, we could be naive and say, well, we just, that's because that's the day that Jesus was born. And I'm not saying that it's, that it's not, but there's been books and books written on, um, is the 25th of December actually the date? And we could spend this whole morning saying what the evidence is for that and what the evidence is against that. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing to because I think there are some of us that that builds our faith to understand why do we choose the 25th of December. But I'm not going to speak on that. Um, we can speak about some of the claims that says that Christmas, the, day, the 25th of December, was actually a pagan celebration. And then the Christians hijacked it and took it over. And there are many, many like, like, what would I say, critics of Christianity that would say, 
you know, you're celebrating Christmas on the 25th of December. It's actually a pagan tradition that you Christians just hijacked back in the day. And again, I'm not saying that that's unimportant, but that's not something that we're going to speak about today. We could also speak about the claim that a Christmas tree and wrapping of gifts is not something that belongs in a, in a, a Bible-believing church because it's also from pagan traditions. Again, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there's claims. And like I said, I don't want to say that these questions that a lot of people take very seriously are unimportant. But I think this morning that would be spending time missing the point of why we do the things that we do on this day. Um, and the point being, why do we celebrate? Why do we celebrate on the 25th of, of December? And maybe, would it, would it have made a difference if we decided to celebrate it on the 24th? If why we celebrate is still the same. So, in trying to focus on why we celebrate, I want us to look at three things this morning, and there isn't going to be any slides. Um, so, if you have your Bible here, um, preferably a hard copy, because otherwise we get distracted. Um, but otherwise, you'll have to just listen to me for the next 25 minutes, um, very closely. So three things. We're going to look at the biblical prophecy, the biblical prophecy, the foretelling of Jesus' birth. And then we're going to look at the biblical account of Jesus' birth, which we find in the Gospels. So we'll speak about that some more. And then we're going to speak about the significance of Jesus' birth. Um, and I know that as we're saying that, most people here probably say, well, I know the, the second point I know quite well, the biblical account, um, and I think I can give a relatively good answer for the significance. Um, and my prayer is that we would be open for God to teach us something new this morning out of maybe a story or account that we've heard very often. Um, and we've heard told some of us that, that have gone through like kids' ministries and that probably hundreds of times, that God would reveal something to us this morning. Maybe it isn't even something new. Maybe it's just something that God wants to remind us of um, and draw our attention to. Before we get into that, I want to share something, and I've been going back and forth in my preparation of whether I'm going to share it, but I think that it's, it, it came up so many times in my preparation, in an article that Andre sent me, in, even in the research on the prophecy and those things, um, that I feel that I must share it. And that is to speak about the, the trust that we can have as Christ followers in the Scriptures. Um, and I think for me, in this time... God reminded me, and I guess in a sense also brought a little bit of a rebuke against me to say that because we, we can drift into a, 
a view, um, I don't know all of the high words that they use for it, of that Scripture is, most of it is good, and most of it is true. But, you know, humans did write it, so actually there are going to be mistakes in it, and there are, there are going to be faults in it, and there are going to be things that actually we can't believe and trust. And by the grace of God, a couple of years ago, I, to me, it's a very simple realization, but I came to a realization, I said, if God can create the universe out of nothing, and He can sustain the universe out of nothing, and He speaks planets and stars into existence, can I not trust and believe that He has the power to orchestrate imperfect human beings to write a collection of books and letters that are inspired by him and that are true and that are correct. And why I say by the grace of God I came to the realization is that when Andre sent me this article, he said it's something to consider for your preparation. And that was not what I thought it would be. Um, but I think it's, it's a Timothy Keller's wife, Tim Keller's wife that wrote this article. And in that, she puts that exact phrase that, that I came to a realization a time ago to say, like, you know, like, the God of the universe, you know, we trust, we say we believe that he, can, he created, he holds the universe in his hands. Is he able to create a collection of books and letters that we can trust? And I believe as Christ follows, the answer is yes. And even if we look at what Jesus said about the Scriptures, then the answer is yes. Um, and it is a little bit of a side road. We're going to come back onto it, but, but maybe it also isn't. Maybe as we read through the, the, the accounts and the prophecies and that, there's some doubt in our minds. Like, oh, really? Really? And, and I want to remind us that... that as Christ followers, we profess to believe the Scriptures and all of it. Um, so, yeah, let's get into it. Maybe let's start by praying. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time together. Thank you that we can gather as Christ followers and maybe people that are not Christ followers, but we can gather this morning to learn more about you, um, to celebrate the birth of, of Jesus yeah, and we just want to pray that your spirit will be with us, Lord. Your, your spirit would, would guide this, this talk. Your spirit would help us to be yeah, free from distraction. Your spirit will double-click on the things that, that you want for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first of all, we're going to look at some biblical prophecy for Jesus' birth. Um, so just to just quickly, prophecy, obviously, um, in Old Testament, prophecy was foretelling. It was, it was telling about things that, that were still going to happen. And I make that distinction because in the New Testament, we also speak about prophesying as as something that we can do in upliftment of each other um, and over each other. 
works. But this, this prophecy that we're talking about is actually foretelling things that were still going to happen. And I guess we can start with a question is, how can we trust biblical prophecy? Except for what I just shared to say that as Christ follows, we can trust the scriptures. But how can we trust it? And it's not surprising that the answer comes out of the, the scriptures themselves. In Deuteronomy 18, verse 21 to 22, it says the following. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously, so do not be alarmed. So, the proof is in the pudding. I don't know where that saying comes from, but the, the proof is going to be, in prophecy is going to be, did it actually happen? They, someone prophesied something, and did it actually occur? And that's going to be the proof of whether this, this message is actually from the Lord. And yes, we can say, oh, but you know, that's, that's a little bit after the fact. So if you tell me that the world's going to end, I'm only going to know that it's true when the world ends. Um, but that's, at least you'll know that it's true. Um, but what I want to take out from that is also that there's also a track record then. If if what Isaiah has said, if many of that has come true already, then we can put relative trust in his words that some of the things that maybe haven't come true yet will still happen. If that makes sense. So, having a track record. Okay, so, let's start with some of the prophecies about Jesus' birth. In Genesis 3.15, it says, And I will put... Enmity, en enmity, enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. I will, he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So yes, we can read that as just a saying that one day a son of Eve will kill a snake. But that would be a very shallow reading of that scripture. So. Right after Adam and Eve disobeyed God, he gave an indication that a savior would come from the seed of the woman. God revealed right from the beginning that this seed would be the one that would crush the head of the serpent. The serpent we know being the devil, right, says that he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So, there's the crushing of the serpent, but there is also a strike from the serpent to this, what is referred to as the seed of Eve. Um, we're not going to go too much into it because we're going to read some more into the account. Okay. Genesis 12 verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here, God is making a promise to Abraham. 
that he would make him into a great nation. As part of that promise, he tells him that all people will be blessed through Abraham. This blessing of all mankind points to the one who would redeem peoples from every tribe and tongue on the face of the earth. The blessing of salvation to all people is what is spoken of here, to all who would believe. And how can we say that God, or that this was said, how, how, what evidence is there that this promise was speaking about Jesus? And I think some of the evidence is in the genealogy at the beginning of Matthew, where Matthew explains or basically shows that Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. Um, we won't go through that genealogy this morning, but it is quite interesting. The next one is Isaiah 7, verse 14. So this was about seven years before, uh, 700 years before uh, Christ was born. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. And we'll call him Emmanuel. So this scripture points to the manner in which this son will, bo- will be born. And it also gives one of the names um, for Christ, which is Emmanuel. Which is something that came up so often in my preparation is this, this name, Emmanuel, which we know means God with us. So this was pointing to Jesus' birth, but also to his nature, his nature of being God. God come down to earth, God with us. Then Micah 5 verse 2 says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small amongst the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And this scripture tells us in advance, approximately 800 years before Jesus was born, um, where he would be born. And if you go and read through, through Matthew, I think Matthew makes a point of it to show how Jesus' parents, their movement um, before his birth and after his birth, really, how can I say that? It, um, it proves the prophecies right about what the prophecies said about him. And he makes a point of it to prove it, to point it out. So, and then they moved here, and that was to fulfill this prophecy. And then they went here, and that was to fulfill this prophecy. So, it's important to consider these prophecies before we go into the actual account of Jesus' birth in the Gospels. Why? Because these prophecies would have set the context in which people interpreted Jesus' coming. These would have set the, the context for how they expected him to come. Why he was coming. What he was going to come and do. This, and to consider our earlier test of validity of this account. 
Because if something is prophesied hundreds of years earlier, before the actual event happens, and then what was prophesied happens in, in quite a bit of detail, like the place, the circumstances, then people pay attention. If I tell you, if I told you 23 years ago, in 2020, there was going to be a pandemic that was going to shut down the world, and then 23 years later, it happens exactly as I said, in the month that I said, in the place that I said it would start, you're going to, you're going to pay attention if that happens. And you have to admit that there's something supernatural about that, that there's something extraordinary about that, that that happen, does not happen by coincidence, not in that much detail. So when we read through the account of Jesus' birth and we see the similarities or the correlation between that and the prophecies, we must ask ourselves, is this a coincidence or is it supernatural? Is it extraordinary? Okay, so that brings us to the second point, which is the biblical account of Jesus' birth. And this is going to be out of Matthew 1 and 2 and out of Luke 1 and 2. Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Um, so you're welcome to turn there because we're going to be reading through quite a big chunk of, of Scripture, especially in Matthew. So if you have your Bibles here, please turn to Matthew 1. And we're going to start reading from verse 18. It's not going to be on the screen. Okay. So it's like this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will, con will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us, God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So that already sp speaks to some of the prophecy which we read earlier, which was prophesied 700 years before this actually happened. 700 years before this the prophets were already speaking about the virgin birth, the name, and then obviously the place. Okay, so Matthew 2, from the beginning, from verse 1, says, 
After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Maggie from the Machi, that's, um, I'm Afrikaans if you didn't know, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born, the King of the Jews? I just want to stop here because I've read this quite a few times and when I read this in preparation for today, I was just reminded of, of Jesus' crucifixion and the board that was put above his head where they put a board above his head that said, King of the Jews. Do you remember where, and it was where Pilate said, they said to Pilate, no, don't take that board off. That's, and then Pilate said, what I said, I said. And they left the board on there to say, King of the Jews. So Jesus was, these wise men, they were already speaking of Jesus as King of the Jews when he was still a little baby. And Jesus died 32 something years later with a board above his head to say, King of the Jews. To me, that, it's a simple connection, but to me that was quite profound. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from, from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. We know in, in Matthew, so what I wanted to say is, I've obviously not read through all of it. There's a lot here, but there's a lot that's not here. And I, I really want to encourage us to go and read through 1 and 2 Matthew and 1 and 2 Luke over this time. Um, yeah, I think we, one of the pieces that's not in here is that Herod then declared that they must, they must kill all of the children two years and under um, in that area. Because he was, he thought that if he were to kill all the children two years and under, that would be a sure way that Jesus would also be killed. And obviously, the reason for that was because he didn't want the king of the Jews. He, he wanted that 
for himself. Okay, so next one, Luke 1. Um, so there's just a, one or two verses out of here that I just want to read for us. Uh, Luke 1 verse 32. And this is in this is in foretelling. This was before Jesus was actually born. He will be great and we be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So that's out of Luke 1. And then this is quite an interesting section out of Luke 2, for, to me at least. So this is where the, uh, Jesus' parents take him to the temple. Um, I think it's, it's on, the, on the eighth day, the circumcision and that. So they take him to the temple. And, and then it speaks about their interaction with, with two people at the temple. And I think that's quite a profound interaction, so I'm going to read it for us. Now, there was a man in, so this is Luke 2, verse 25. There was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. I, I, I think this is such, so, such profound like words that people spoke about Jesus while he was still a baby, while he was still a child, before he actually did any of the things that we will still speak about. Verse 33 says, The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So there Jesus was, a child, a baby, and many things were being said about him and claimed about him. This, they were saying, this baby, this is Emmanuel. This is God with us. This baby, and it's not like Jesus in that moment could say, yes, that's me, eight days old or between zero and two years old, depending on, on the gospel that you're reading. 
Um, King of the Jews, the Messiah, the, the Savior, the one who would redeem Israel. And this in itself was already fulfillment of prophecy as we have seen that there are details about Jesus' birth that was prophesied. However, there are also things that would only be proven true later. When they said Jesus was the king of the Jews, it's not like he went as a baby and went to go sit on the throne um, to be king of the Jews. So, my final point is the significance of this. I know we've read a big portion of Scripture, and the main purpose of that was to show the similarities between, or not the similarities, the correspondence between the prophecy and then what actually happened and what is recorded seven, eight hundred years later in the Gospels about um, Jesus' birth and about that time and about what people said about him. Um, and that was the main purpose of going through those pieces of Scripture. But what is the significance of Jesus' birth? What if, what if Jesus went on to do nothing? Even after what they said about him as a baby, what if he went on to do nothing? And what I mean by nothing is maybe not nothing, nothing, but what if he lived a normal life? What if he, what if he actually became king in the way that the, many anticipated him to become king? And he was a good king, and he ruled for a couple of years, and he maybe had a family, and he died in his old age. What, what if that was what that baby ended up doing, what that child ended up doing. Do you, think that, do you think that we would be reading about him here in Weinberg this morning? Do you think that we would be celebrating his birth still if he had become king of the Jews as they anticipated him, had a family, ruled for a couple of years, and died. Would we be celebrating his birth still? Anyone? Andre? Sure, cop out, eh? It's just leaving. I don't think so. It doesn't matter what great things were said about Jesus at his birth. If he didn't go on to live the life that he did, we would not be celebrating his birth today. We would not be reading about his birth today. The reason we celebrate the birth of a, a baby that was born some 2,000 years ago is because of what that baby, who he ended up becoming and, and what he ended up doing in his life. That is why we celebrate Jesus' birth. So what did Jesus go on to do? And I'm going to read this passage, but I'm not going to tell you which passage it is. And if you recognize the passage, then you're not allowed to tell the person next to you. 
But maybe just before I read it, who, who has, you can just, you don't have to feel pressure, but who feels like they have a relatively good idea of um, the crucifixion account? What happened in the crucifixion? Just, no one? <laughs> All good? Okay. I'm going to read this for us. So remember, the question is, why was his birth significant? Why, why does it matter? It, it doesn't matter because what they said about him at his, at his birth. It matters because of what he went on to go and do. Who has believed our message? You can give me an indication if you know where I am yet. And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like, la like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand after he has suffered. He will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors, for he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. That was written 700 years approximately before Jesus was even born. And 
the accuracy with which that speaks about what Jesus came to do and, and his actual life and his actual death and how many times it says that he was to carry the sins of many, that he would be innocent. That is out of Isaiah 53, if you want to go read it again. And I would encourage you, if you do go and read it, go and read the, one of the accounts of, of the crucifixion. And go and read Psalm 22, which is also, um, I think they say it's, it's probably about a thousand years before Jesus' birth. Go and read Psalm 22, go and read Isaiah 53, um, and go and read the account of Jesus' crucifixion. It's amazing to see with what accuracy this describes Jesus' life and what he has done with, for us. And again, if we use the test of prophecy we read earlier in Deuteronomy, we can see that God's word is trustworthy. As these prophecies about Jesus' life came to fulfillment in amazing detail, in detail that cannot be coincidental. So his birth that we celebrate today is only significant because of his life. Because of his life, because of his death, and because of his resurrection. He had a sinless life and proclaimed the kingdom of God was at hand. He then died as a criminal, although he was innocent and sinless. He took your sin upon himself. He took my sin upon himself. The passage above describes it as the iniquity of us all. And he paid the price, which was death. But he was raised to life, conquering death and sin. Why? So that we can be reconciled to God so that we may have life and have it to the full. We are not just celebrating any life today. We are celebrating the birth of the Savior of the world, the one who loved us so that he humbled himself to be born as a man, a helpless baby. He then went on to humble himself by dying on a cross on our behalf so that we could live. As Christ follows, we are not celebrating a, the birth of a, a random baby. Is it, what would that be? Would that be Middle East? I don't know. I'm not, a, not good with geography. We are celebrating the birth of the Savior of the world, the one who, who made a way for each of us to be reconciled to God. I think in a sense, all of us, before we come to Christ, are like King Herod. We want kingship for ourselves. So those of us that do not 
consider ourselves Christ followers. As you maybe even celebrate Christmas with your loved ones, consider the evidence for Jesus' life, for his death and for his resurrection and for it actually being true what he said he came to do and what he did. As the wise men saw the star rise and followed it, I would ask you to look at the evidence for Jesus' life. Maybe he, the call, maybe he's calling you. Maybe it's a supernatural call. And I would say, follow that star. And as the wise men did, I would say, submit at his feet and worship him. He asks for nothing in the sense that you cannot contribute anything to your salvation. That you do not have to add to what he has done. But he asks for everything in the sense that you need to submit your whole life to him. He does not only want a part of your life. He wants to be your king. He wants to be your master. And he says the following. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I pray that today as we, we celebrate your birth, that we would celebrate your life, your, your teaching, which we are so privileged to have in, in the Bible, that we would celebrate, Lord, your death for us, for our iniquity, for our transgressions, for our sin. But, Lord, that we would be joyous, that we rejoice that that is not where the story ends, that you were raised to life and because we have died with you, we now also live with you. We pray as we go from here that, that we would be a fragrance to the world, Lord, yeah, that people would see you through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.